Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Um, Before you sit down, just turn to someone and say, Jesus is Lord. And then you can have a a seat. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Appreciate the worship team and leading us in worship. I, uh, I love being in the presence of the Lord. Uh, boy, this is a good day, guys. Uh, last night, we started a uh, brand new series, and uh, it, uh, it, it, it's called Red Letters. And you might be thinking, well, what, is, what does red letters have to do with anything? And uh, I, uh, um, <clears throat> I didn't grow up in a, in a home where we went to church all the time and just wasn't like that. Uh, I was a Catholic, but not a good Catholic. I was talking to someone last night about it, and uh, I, I learned uh, how to check off boxes, and I learned how to go through the motions, um, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. This was my personal experience, and we didn't go to church very much, and when we did go, eventually we went to church every uh, Christmas and funeral service, and eventually we went to church every funeral service, and that's kind of how I grew up. And uh, uh, my, my cousin gave me a book, and it was a Bible. And she turned to Jesus in California, and she came, and, and uh, she wanted to give me this book because she heard my lifestyle. And, uh, and I was, that was like the most embarrassing gift I'd ever received in my life. I thought, am I that bad? You're sending me a message. Am I that bad? I'm not that bad. You're giving me a Bible? Do you, is this what you think about me? I totally took it the wrong way. And uh, I was working at a, at a plant nursery at the time, and there was this guy that I would work with. His name's Bert, and Bert was a, a very proud atheist, and he was an English major. He had the broadest vocabulary I had ever met. This guy just was brilliant. I mean, he would just drop words all the time that made me feel stupid, and I'd be like, what does that word mean? I mean, he just had that ability. And, and uh, he was very far from God. He wrote a whole English paper on the use of the F-bomb and got an A. I mean, he just, one of these guys that just toyed and just smart. And one day we were putting together pots of soil and he tells me, hey, this reminds me of the parable of the sower. So I have an atheist talking to me about the Bible, sharing the parable of the sower. Literally, he's sharing God's word with me, an atheist. He had no intent to convert me or anything like that. He had no intent to do that. He's just talking to me about a a literature piece that he's aware of, a story that he's aware of. So I go home and I open up my Bible, or the Bible I remember my cousin gave me, and I happen to open it to the parable of the sower. And the story is, you know, Jesus just met me in my bedroom and I've never been the same. And the next day I remember I was felt so different and and, uh, my girlfriend at the time, Grace, was like, Reuben, you changed. And I said, yeah, I met Jesus. I met God. I don't, I'm different. He's alive and he's real. And she says, Reuben, you got saved. And I said, I don't know what that word means, but I'm telling you, Jesus is real. And she says, no, you got saved. I said, I still don't understand what you're saying. I'm just telling you. And I didn't understand the lingo, the terminology and all that stuff. But I discovered that um, I thought, I got to learn more about Jesus. So I went to my living room and I pulled out these old books called Encyclopedias. And I looked for the letter J, and that was the first place I read about Jesus. And it was like two pages. And I read about Jesus and my encyclopedia. And then I thought, my cousin gave me a, a book and my bi- a Bible, and I should go. And then I opened, up, opened it up, and I discovered the words in the color red belong to Jesus. And all the other words were black. So in my mind, I thought, well, the words in the color red have got to be the most important part in the whole Bible, I should start with those. So I read the color red (laughs) words for like the first six months of my walk um, as I was learning to walk with God. So I'm sharing all that with you to say is I don't think I've ever been more emotionally attached to a series than this one right here. Jesus changed my life. Uh, Jesus got a hold of me. He gave me a new life. Glory to God. And he's still changing lives. And I just wholeheartedly believe that Jesus can change any life, and the words of Jesus can change your life. The words of Jesus can change your life. Let's put that up, Ezra. I want everybody to see that. The words of Jesus can change your life. And uh, I want to encourage you. We're going to, for the next 10 weeks or so, this is going to go all the way through May, through Palm Sunday, 
and, and Christmas and Easter, we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to dive into this. These are the most important words you will ever read. Jesus is the most important person you will ever meet in your, in your life the most important person. So I want to encourage you to uh, show up to church every week. And uh, as we look at the words of Jesus, we can't possibly go over all of his words, but we're going to look at his words and, and uh, he, he's, uh, he's done so much. Um, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is what church is wise. Uh, who did not have any caffeine? Anybody not have any caffeine? <laughs> who had caffeine? Who had, okay, if you're sitting by someone who did not have caffeine, just give them a little shove and say, wake up. Let's, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, hello, oh, you're beautiful, like a person who builds a house on solid rock, listens listens to it and follows it. Those are two different action steps. Um, as I thought about the words of Jesus and I thought, boy, where do we start? Where do we start? And the Lord took me to this place that I've never preached out of this passage before. I don't think in my years of ministry. And um, the Lord just stirred my heart and said, this is a place where you should start with the words of Jesus. And um, I want to go to the beginning of his ministry. Um, the beginning of his ministry, well, early on, you know, you, you read about him when he's like 12 years old and he gets lost. Mom and dad can't find him and he's in the temple teaching. And then he's kind of, you know, he kind of absent. You don't see a lot about him from 12 year old to 30 year old. And at 30, he shows up and uh, John the Baptist, who's the forerunner, John the Baptist is like baptizing people. And then John the Baptist sees Jesus and John the Baptist is like, Whoa, here's the one that I've been talking to you about to prepare the way. I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. I'm not worthy to tie. That, that's what that, and so Jesus walks down. John, there's a huge crowd. John the Baptist baptizes him. And scripture says when he got up, check it out. Matthew chapter three says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and a lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Isn't that cool? There's this, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And I look at this and it's like a, it's like a proud father saying, That's my boy. That's my boy right there. And that's what the father, our father God is saying about his son, Jesus, who's God in the flesh. And he's saying, look, here, here's right here. And you see the whole Trinity here, incidentally. You see the Holy Spirit, and you see God the Father, and you see God the Son. And you see all of them come together, and, and, and the, the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus. And it's this incredible moment, the heavens open, and this kind of thing. And the Spirit just anoints him and endorses him. And there's affirmation, and, and there's a crowd of witnesses in the midst of all this. And you see that happen. And then something happens. The very next thing you read about Jesus, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Think about this. This is the first words of Jesus coming out of the gates after he's been baptized. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's number one. Here comes number two. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. G uh, the devil is quoting scripture. The devil knows the Bible. Jesus answered him. Here it is. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Here comes number three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and uh, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and their splendor. All this I will give you, the devil said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus says, here comes this third word, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Uh, God, we humble ourselves before you right now, and I just pray that you uh, crack open our hearts. I pray that you give us insight into your word. I pray that you change lives even while this sermon is being preached. I pray that you transform and save and deliver. And I know there's some people here who are hungry for you, and other people are here, but they're just here. And I pray that you minister to every soul, sinner and saint. By your grace, Holy Spirit, work in me and through me. Um, I want to speak your words, Lord. And you're the one who's, who's, Jesus, you're the one who we are looking at. You're the head of this church and, and the church. So have your way here, Lord. Have your way here, Holy Spirit. Lead us as you already have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, it starts off with Jesus in this wilderness. And uh, it's such a different picture from the Jesus that was baptized at the river. You think about that. At the river, there's this water and it's cool. And now he's in a wilderness where there's no water. And in fact, the gospel of Mark says that there's wild beasts in the wilderness. And uh, here in, in, the, in the river, when he was baptized, there is this crowd of people and there's seemingly like this affirmation, the heavens open up and, you know, this is my boy kind of thing. And then now he's in the wilderness and there's silence and he's alone and there's nobody there. In fact, he just has this this fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and, and all he has this conversation is with the devil. And I thought about this wilderness thing, and I thought, boy, the wilderness can be scary. Have you ever been in a wilderness? You know, you can be in a wilderness and be at home, but be in a wilderness. You can be in a marriage, but be in a wilderness. You know, you can live, live uh, you know, work with someone and go to work, but you could be in your own private wilderness. It's that place where... Maybe fear has a hold of you or anxiety or, or stress or, or, or uh, you know, this, this place where maybe depression is part of it or, or you just feel alone and you're not sure, you know, what to do and, and, and you're just holding on and you're trying to hold on and, and you have your own emotions that you're kind of working through and there's danger and, and, and you're, you feel like you're challenged and tested. Have you ever been in a wilderness all of us have been there before, or you will be there. And I look at this and I think, you know, this is just like life. One minute we can like be in a church service and be like, oh, God is so good. And the next minute, you know, we're crying because we don't understand why this happened to me. Next minute, we're struggling to understand that God is loving. You know, so you can have these contrasting experiences and think, what is this about? I like the way T.D. Jake said it. He said, the wilderness you are in is not your punishment it's your preparation. And I think that's good to know because um, when you look at this passage, first of all, the spirit of the Lord is the one that launched Jesus into the wilderness. The spirit anointed Jesus. You know, you see it with John the Baptist, but then you see the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, like compel Jesus to go into the wilderness. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, the wilderness might be our fault. You know, we made some decisions and now we're reaping the consequences. Sometimes that happens. But other times, God may allow you to go into a wilderness, right? God may allow you to go into a wilderness because he wants you to turn to him. Or in this passage right here, the word temptation, actually the better word for that is tested. And there's a testing that is going on in the wilderness with Jesus, and really Satan is the student. The devil is the student. And you see this where, where Jesus goes through this, and I think, gosh, we have our own wilderness experiences. And when we go through our wilderness experiences, you, you come to this place where, where you decide 
who you are, you decide how you're going to fight. You know, are you going to fight it with your own willpower? Are you going to just work harder and, and just grit it out and grind it out? You know, is that what you're going to do? Are you going to use your own, I'm going to get myself through this? Or are you going to turn to God? Are you going to say, God, I need your help? I mean, what's your, what's your MO when, when you find yourself in those wilderness experiences. Jesus is in this wilderness because the devil took him there. And I want to say this, God will speak to you in a place of peace, but you'll be proven in a place of testing. When you have that moment where you feel like God just speaks to you, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But then it's proven when you're going through that wilderness experience. That's where it's proven. And, and you're like, okay, do I believe what I, what I think I believe? Uh, who am I? What am I going to fight with? What are my weapons? What am I going to use? Who's my God? I mean, it's possible that you're your God. It's possible that you worship yourself more than you worship God. It's possible you worship your IQ, your intellect, more than you worship God. It's possible to do all that. So what's going on? What's the backdrop behind this whole thing? And as I thought about this, the Lord led me to John chapter 10, verse 10. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Oh, guys, this is a great memory verse. Let's read it out loud. Let's start over again. The thief comes only to steal and kill. I came. There it is. There's, there's. Like, there's the mission of Jesus, and there's the mission of the devil, captured in one verse. The mission of the devil is to steal and kill and destroy. Steal and kill and destroy. He wants to rob you, certainly from Jesus. He wants to rob you from true joy. He wants to rob you from true deliverance. He wants to rob you from true freedom. He wants to rob you from true peace. And he, he, will, he, will, he will do that, and he, he's all about crushing and dividing, dividing homes, dividing friendships, dividing families and marriages, dividing churches. I mean, that's what he does. He wants to destroy it, and the work of Jesus is completely opposite. He came to bring life and abundant life. Glory to God. Full life. I mean, think about that. Jesus wants to give you life. He wants to breathe life inside of you. He wants you to know his, his, his presence. And it's not just about heaven. It's not just about you putting your salvation card in your back pocket. It's about knowing Jesus right now. Knowing the life that he brings right now. And that's what Jesus does. So when you see this, you know, UFC match in Matthew that's going on between the devil and Jesus, you just need to know what's at stake. It's important for you to know your enemy. Jesus knows his enemy is the devil. And incidentally, the devil is not the opposite of God. And the devil is not the opposite of Jesus. The devil is a fallen angel whose name is Lucifer. He's an angel that, was fall, that has fallen. Pride crept up into his heart when he was in heaven. He got kicked out of heaven along with one third of the angels and they became known as demons. So the devil is not God or op the opposite of God in any stretch, way, or form. Um, the devil is not omnipresent. In other words, present everywhere like God. God's present everywhere all the time. The devil doesn't have that ability. The devil is not all-knowing like God. God's all-knowing. The devil's, the devil's not. Uh, God's all-powerful. The devil's not all-powerful at all. Not, not at all. In fact, the devil and his demons, they're subject to the word of God. That's why you see Jesus when he walked up and many times just through the word, he could cast out a demon. He shows up with this guy who's full of demons and, 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 and they're begging him, don't, don't, don't cast us out to, you know, to the best. He says, okay, I'll cast you out into a bunch of pigs. I mean, they listen to Jesus because there's no greater authority than the word of Jesus, than the word of God. There's no one like the word of God. So you just need to understand the devil is not the opposite of God. Not at all. Not at all. So, so in this story, you see the devil himself. I think it's important to know, because sometimes we might use a phrase like, oh, the devil, I'm just fighting the devil. You know, I understand what you're saying. We get it. Truth is, there's demons, and there's, there's these things, and there's an evil you know, force out there. But, but uh, Jesus is going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil himself in this passage. He's doing that. 
And then verse, verse 1, it says Jesus was led by the Spirit. That word literally means to sail away. If you like boats or fishing or anything like that, it literally means to launch off the dock. Like, launching off the dock. You know, it's kind of like getting pushed off, and that's, what, that's what's happening here. The name devil here literally means um, he's the accuser or the slanderer. Jesus also called him the father of lies. He's the accuser or the slanderer. He's the one that will say, oh, you're no good. Oh, nobody cares about you. Oh, nobody wants you. Oh, nobody loves you. Oh, you're horrible. Oh, you're, you're always going to be alone. Oh, you're, you're, you'll never make it. You're going to always fail. You're, you know what? Nobody cares about you. You know, God doesn't care about you. You might as well end your life. It doesn't matter what you do. Nobody, that's the devil. That's the devil just feeding those things into your head. You don't need God. This is a waste of time. This isn't for you. That's the devil. So a mark of spiritual maturity is your ability to discern the father of lies. And to be able to discern, okay, this is of God, and this is from the father of lies. So that's a real mark of spiritual maturity. If you don't see that, then you're going to be a victim with every runaway thought that's going through your head. You're going to be a slave to every thought that passes through your head, and you're going to convince yourself because you're thinking it. It must be true. So you've got to be careful. And when you look at this passage, you notice Jesus, like he doesn't argue with the devil. See, Jesus knows he's a manipulator. And the words Jesus uses, he actually quotes the word of God. Now, scripture said they were, they were, uh, the, that he, Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. That number 40 is all throughout the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, when God looked at the earth and he saw all the wickedness, he said, you know what? I'm going to start over. I'm going to reboot this whole thing. We're going to wipe the drive clean. And what did he do? He sent a rain and there was a great flood. And, and it came down and the rain came down for 40 days and 40 nights, right? Uh, Moses, when uh, he, he wandered in the desert for 40 years, and he was also on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, the law, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament that we don't follow anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but, but part of that was that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't uh, um, slash, lash anyone more than 40. Uh, the Israelites famously went to go explore Canaan. You know, they were thinking, oh, maybe we should take this territory. And they went in for 40 days. And they came back with a bunch of big old fruit and say, this is awesome, but there's big giants. And they said, we can't go in because the giants are too big. So after 40 days of exploring, then God said, because you, you were afraid, because you got cold feet, because you wouldn't trust me, God says, now you were there for 40 days. Now you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So you see this number 40 over and over, even in the life of Jesus. And when, when, when he was resurrected, you know, just a crazy thing. He actually walked around and many people saw him. And in, in, in Acts chapter one, you read about his ascension, but from the resurrection to the ascension, there's 40 days. 40 days that, G that Jesus walked this earth after his resurrection. So th this number 40 is super, super important. And scripture says after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Now fasting, um, you know, this right here, you, you get the impression there was no water and no food. Typically when we fast now, our fasting might look different. You know, when I came to know Jesus, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd fast uh, quite a bit. And uh, it was usually meant like I just would drink, just drink water. That's all I would drink is just water. I don't know. And now our fasting seems like it's changed. Now we like, uh, I'm going to fast from Lucky Charms today or something. Or I'm going to fast, you know, from sugar. Or I'm going to fast from chocolate. Or I'm going to fast. It's our fasting just has changed. I'm going to fast from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock. You know what I mean? It's just like our fasting just looks so different. But here, Jesus fasted. He's hungry. And the devil shows up. And my thought was, you know, why didn't the devil show up during that fasting period? Why didn't he show up while he was fasting? Like the devil waited. When the fast was over, the devil showed up. And I think the devil just knew Jesus. Just knew Jesus was focused. And we don't talk a lot about this, but I want to say this. Jesus is the most driven person you will ever see. 
You think you're driven? You think you're driven? There's nobody more driven and more focused than Jesus. From the minute he came into the world, he knew his mission and he knew it involved going to Jerusalem. And he knew starting this. And for 40 days, he said, I'm just going to give myself to our father and I'm gonna, not going to eat and I'm not going to do that. But it's after the fasting's over, he's hungry. Here's the human side of Jesus. The guy's hungry. Now, who are you when you are hungry? Do people like being around you? I mean, who are you when you're hungry? You know, there's some people when they get hungry, you just want to give them a Snickers bar and say, please eat this, man. Our life will be so much better. (laughs) Please eat. This is killing us. You're you're messing everything up. And and Jesus is hungry. The devil shows up. And what I want you to see is I think the devil showed up at a time when it was actually legal now for Jesus to eat. Like his time is over. He could eat. And, 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 and the first temptation, the, the, the devil, I mean, he's an opportunist. You got to hear that. The devil is an opportunist. He waits till Jesus is hungry. He waits till the fasting is over. And in our lives, he does the same thing. He'll speak to you when you're tired, when you're discouraged, when you're angry, when somebody hurts you, when you're still bleeding over it, when you're, when you're confused when, whatever it is, that's when the enemy, he's an opportunist. He's like a lion in the Serengeti. That's when the devil will go at you. When you're at that vulnerable place and your guard is down and you're questioning God and you're questioning, that's when the devil will feed you some lies. And I think, you know, Jesus, I, and I looked at this and I thought, you know, Jesus could have said, you know, the first one was, hey, turn this rock, turn this stone into bread. That was the first test. And, and Jesus totally could have reasoned with this. And he could have said, you know what? It's time to eat anyway. Right? I was going to eat anyway. Sure, I'll go ahead and do that. No big deal. Couldn't he have? I mean, couldn't he have reasoned within his own head and said, I was going to do this miracle anyway. I'm really hungry. You just happen to say that and it's just coincidence. So I was going to do it anyway. So sure, I'll go ahead and do it. But he recognized the deceiver. The devil wanted Jesus to use his power for something that he wanted and Jesus needed. And, and Jesus sees the craftiness of the devil. He sees what he's trying to do. Um, I want to show you something, guys, that the Lord showed me how, how this passage right here that we just read compares to Genesis chapter 3. So just hang with me. These two passages, Adam and Eve and Jesus in the wilderness, there are some incredible connections there. Um, I want to start off with 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Um, it says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. So I want us to say those three, these are three categories. These are three headings of temptations. Every temptation in the world, every temptation you will face, every sin you will face, this is the heading over it. Let's, I want to say that out loud. Say the lust of the flesh with me. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. One more time. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three right there. Now, this word lust is not necessarily sexual. I know we attribute it sexual, and, and yeah, I get it. But this word right, right here in the original Greek language, you know what it means? To be hot after something. To be hot after something. My dog, when he sees a squirrel, oh, anybody have a dog like that, like inside the house? And my dog wants to go through our back door. I mean, he's just scratching and, you know, I mean, I think the squirrels just toy with him, to be honest with you. But, uh, but he, and as soon as you open up that door, he like bolts, like it's like a, just like a, you know, launches out there and he's trying to get, one day he did come back with a squirrel. My mother-in-law freaked out because he had this huge, I was kind of proud, but I was like, he caught it, where'd he go, boy? But anyway, so, so, uh, so that's what, and I think about this to be hot after something. The first one was the lust of the flesh. What's that about? Desires centered in your human nature. 
when sin enters our world, sin just contaminated, it polluted a lot of things, including our desires. Like, like for example, it's okay to be hungry and eat. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, there's a certain thing called gluttonous. That's where you go too far. There's nothing wrong with, with sex within God's parameters. There's nothing wrong with that. That's God's plan to be fruitful and multiply. But with sin in there, it can become sexual immorality. You can, it can be sexual, uh, um, sexual urges that are just not pleasing to God. And you see that over and over and over. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, there's this laundry list of, of uh, the lust of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Outburst of anger. Like there's nothing wrong with being angry. You got to be slow to anger though, right? Slow to speak and quick to listen. But when there's a lack of self-control, when, you are, when you're a hothead, now it's a problem. You get it? Selfish ambition, dissension, division, drunkenness, envy, wild parties. So that's the lust of the flesh. It's this idea of this is who we are, but it's like a flesh gone wild. You know, we can just do things that we really shouldn't, and it just kind of takes over us. Um, the next one um, that, that John talked about was the lust of the eyes. Well, what are the lust of eyes? This means um, basically we desire what we see. Our eyes are the primary organ of perception and often the principal avenue of temptation. Think about King David. King David, when kings go to war, David stayed behind. He goes on the roof after taking a nap and he looks out and he sees this hot woman taking a bath. (laughs) And he just checks her out for a while. His eyes are locked into her. You remember her name? Bathsheba. And, and, and all his, he looks at her long enough. He looks at her and all of a sudden he desires her. Men, you know what I'm talking about. Whether you have a woman right now or you're interested in a woman, what do you do? I remember the first time Grace caught my eye. I'm like locked into her. Man, you stare her down. When you first met her, you stare her down. You might even make her feel uncomfortable, but you just can't get your eyes off of her. And you look at her up and down and up and down and up and down. You are locked into her. There's something about her you want. And the longer you look at her, the more you want her. So the eyes are super important, the lust of the eyes. Because whatever we look at will eventually want and desire So what you set your eyes on is huge. And then the third one was the pride of life. This describes an arrogant spirit of self-sufficiency. This is someone who's full of pride. Nobody can teach them anything. They know everything. You know anyone like that? Arrogance. Arrogance. They're never wrong. They're never wrong. And it's all about their perception. And they will get angry with you if you don't agree with them. And and this is who they are. They're arrogant and prideful. It's the oldest sin in the Bible because Satan himself, Lucifer, fell to this same sin when he was in heaven. So you got it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Genesis chapter 3. Here it comes. When the woman saw, this is Eve, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, All right, there it is. The lust of the flesh. And pleasing to the eye. There it is. The lust of the eyes. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. The pride of life. She took some and ate it. You see those three in there early on. So we can, you know, we can... uh, you know, call a lot of things sin or temptations, but it all, I mean, God's so simple. It's either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. So you see that early on in Genesis chapter three, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, what happened in Genesis chapter three? Adam and Eve failed, right? They failed. 
they gave in to the devil and took the fruit and, and she said, hey baby, take this, this is so good. And he ate it and then they hide from God. That's a whole other story. And then, and then God said, what are you doing? And then we were afraid, I got a thing. And you know, who told you? And, and then, you know, she made me do it. And she says, the devil made me do it. You know, all this whole thing. But they failed. In Genesis chapter three, they failed. And sin enters the world. Well, check it out, guys. In the Gospels, Jesus is in the wilderness, and these temptations are coming up again. And there it is, chapter 4, verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. Oh, my mercy, just like that, guys. I lost my place. It's okay. Um, I'll find it here. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That's called the lust of the flesh. That's that craving. That's that appetite. The lust of the flesh. And then the, other, the second one was, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. That's the pride of life. You're so important, the angels will catch you. And, and the devil quotes scripture. And then and verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, the lust of the eyes. So you have these three different tests And Jesus doesn't fail. So here's the message here, guys. The wilderness is where God teaches Satan that the three tricks that Satan used in the garden will not work on his son. Glory to God. It's so good. That is so good. That the tricks that the devil used in the garden are not going to work on his son, Jesus. Same thing, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And, and the devil comes and tries to entice Jesus, and he starts out, you're hungry? Turn this to bread. You think you're the son of God? Then throw yourself down, and the angels will catch you anyway if you're really God's son. And, and you know what? Go to this mountaintop and look around, and, and I'll give you all of it. I'll give you all of it. Pride of life. And I want to say this, you see this in there, Satan will never tempt you with something you don't like. Think about that a little bit. If you don't, I mean, if you like it, it's a temptation. But there are certain things, and he he gets to know us a little bit. I say Satan, meaning whether evil, demons, whatever. Um, You will never be tempted with something you don't like. I'll give you an example. Um, You cannot tempt me with like a chocolate candy bar. I'm just telling you. I don't enjoy candy bars and all that stuff. I just, I don't know why. I know some of you, you love it and you think I'm crazy. I get it. And Godiva and all that. My, my wife loves candy bars. But for me, it's just not a temptation. You know, pickles. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't like, I love sauerkraut, but pickles, pickles are like, I don't, I don't know why. And, and, and anybody love pickles out there? See, I, I just, I just don't get it. Bungee jumping. I'm just not there. I'd rather go skydiving than bungee jumping. I think there's something in my head about jumping in a strap, you know, just and tying onto my ankle. And it's like, what if? And it's just weird. It's just like, it's not God. And I just can't get around that thinking this guy, you know, is going to whatever. I just can't get it. So, but there's other temptations. There's things that I like. There's things that I like that are legit temptations for me. You know what I'm talking about? You know what they are in your life. And Jesus says, His words, verse four, he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is making a statement right here. He's saying the word of God is more important than even my appetite, even my craving after 40 days and 40 nights of being hungry. Pleasing God is more important. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Pleasing God is more important. And he suppresses the lust of the flesh right here. He's like, I know this is a need of mine. I know it's a legit craving of mine. But you know what? I live by the word of God as well. I need the word of God in my life. And Jesus is making this statement. He's quoting God. He's saying this is the most important thing in your life. Think about this. This book right here is more important for you to consume than breakfast or lunch or dinner or Starbucks or some energy drink or whatever it is, this book right here will give you more nourishment and will feed your soul and God will speak to you and you will be equipped 
to face any battle if you consume God's word. So I read God's word every morning. I like reading in the mornings. Try to read a chapter, whatever it is. Spend time, keep doing it. Ask God to open up your eyes. And Jesus says, you know what? The word of God is way more important. And then the next thing that happens, verse seven, Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, he doesn't go, you know, like, like, like blow to blow with the devil. He just tells the devil, you know, don't test the Lord your God. He was saying he's God in the flesh. And then the third one, Jesus said in verse 10, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know what Jesus was saying? I'm not going to bow down to you, Satan. I'm not going to bow down to you. That's incredible, guys. When you turn your back on Satan in the name of Jesus, you're telling Satan, I'm not going to bow down to you. When you turn, when you say, devil, I know you're feeding me a lie and I'm not going to entertain that lie. I'm going to throw it in the trash can. I'm not going to let that thing sit in my head. I'm not going to give it a room to rent. I'm not going to get out an air mattress. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any of that. You are telling the devil, get out of here. I'm not going to bow down to you. I recognize what you're doing. I recognize what you're doing. And Jesus tells the devil, I'm not going to bow down to you. I only bow down to God the Father. I want to say this. When you look at the words of Jesus early on, he gives us this message. Here it is. You might be fighting the devil with the wrong weapon. You might be fighting the devil with the wrong weapon. Jesus uses God's word. And the devil knows the Bible. Jesus uses God's word to fight the devil. So this is why it's so important. When the devil feeds you a lie, you got to know the truth. Right? You got to be able to say, nope, this is the truth. That's a lie. I'm not going to buy that one. This is a lie and this is the truth. You got to know the truth. So you might be fighting the devil or a devil, so to speak, with the wrong weapon. If your weapon, when you face temptation and you face things in life, if your weapon is your own will, your own strength, then you're a weak man, a weak woman. We need God. We need God's word. We need Jesus to help us fight the battles that we face because it's a spiritual war. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's the power of the Word of God. You can read a word and it can change you immediately. Incidentally, you know, I, uh, on my, uh, my phone, I have a Bible app. And uh, I, uh, you know, it's really convenient. You know, you can look at your phone anywhere you're at. You're in line at home, whatever. It's just convenient to do it. And I highlight and I love the Bible app. I mean, it's just way cool. That's what I use for my, my daily reading. I'm reading the Bible chronologically. I'm in Kings right now and I like it a lot. But I want to say this. Um, this is my, this is my hard, hard copy right here. And this hard copy, you can see there's like, a, I just underline a bunch of stuff. And, and this one, I, it walked with me, I mean, several, I mean, I've, I've been through so much with this one right here. But I got, I got pages falling out, but I don't want to fix them. I just, I, I just love this Bible. I'm, I want to say this, I'm emotionally attached to this one right here. I'm not emotionally attached to my Bible app on my phone. It's different. But I want to encourage you, use your Bible app but have a hard copy too. And get out your pen and underline and highlight, whatever you want, but let God, let God speak to you. Verse 13 says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next, what? Opportunity came. Remember, he's an opportunist. See, the devil showed up after 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. And he tried to trip up Jesus. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and he failed. So the devil leaves him until there's another opportunity. It's exactly what the enemy does in our life. 
that you might go through a time where you just feel like, man, this is just blows, you know, I'm going through a hard time and, and you get through it by the grace of God and the enemy will wait for the next opportunity. It's after that breakup, after that friend, after that boss says those things, after your spouse you know what I'm talking about? Those next opportunity. And I thought about Jesus and I thought, when did he, when was that next opportunity for Jesus? And of course, there's several places in the gospel that you can look at. But one of the places I, I thought the devil showed up was when Jesus was telling his disciples, I got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. You know, I'm going to be beaten, but I got to go there. And he's thinking about the cross as a place where the ultimate place where he pays for the sins of humanity. And he's like, I got to, this is my mission. I've got to go there. And I remember Simon Peter spoke up and said, you don't, you don't have to go there. Don't go there. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. That's crazy passage right there. I mean, in that same passage, Simon Peter says, Jesus, you're, 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 you're the Lord. You're, you're, you're the son of God. And then in the same breath, he only, he, the devil gets a hold of Simon Peter. Jesus recognizes it. And Jesus tells Simon Peter, get behind me, Satan. You have no mind in the things of God. And then I thought the other time where the devil showed up, and it, it, there's not a lot of verbal interaction, but you see it in Jesus, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus feels very alone very alone. Again, it feels like a wilderness experience almost, and he's there, and he knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows he's about to take, take the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders, and scripture says, he's de like, like deliberating all this, and he's saying, you know, God, um, if there's any other way for this to happen, make it happen, this cup that you want me to drink, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Incredible spiritual agony. None of us have experienced that. I've never experienced that. So when you look at the life of Jesus, you see the devil show up with certain opportunities. Now, when I look at this wilderness experience, I think it's beautiful because verse 11 says this, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Isn't that cool? What's puzzling about this whole thing is like, I mean, you have to remember, even when you're in a wilderness experience, you're still a child of God. God sees you. You may feel like you're going through a time of testing, but that doesn't change your identity. You're still a child of God. You got to hold on to that. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. And after that experience and the devil and, and the, the temptations or the tests and all this stuff happens, the devil leaves because he realized I lost. Glory to God. He's not Adam and Eve. He leaves and, and the second Adam is not like the first Adam, right? That's what's happening here. The second Adam is not like the first Adam. So he leaves and angels come and show up and attend him. Another version says it like this. Angels came and began to minister to him. Isn't that beautiful? See, God knows how to build you back up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad? Your God knows how to build you back up. You may have been in a place where you felt weak and discouraged and frustrated. You may have been in a place where you had no hope, but God knows how to build you back up. And some of you need to hear this. God's sending you an angel this morning. 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 God loves you and God will build you back up. And I don't know about you guys, but I know what it feels like to be in a wilderness. I know what it feels like to be alone. I know what it feels like to face temptation. And I know what it feels like to fall. <laughs> I wish I could be like Jesus all the time. <laughs> but I know what it feels like. But I also know what it feels like for the angel to show up. I also know what it feels like for the angel to show up and to encourage me. 
And it's like God says, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. Glory to God. You hear that? When I looked at this, guys, I'm just telling you, I, I, I was working through this message and I'm like, this is a, this passage right here is a passage of celebration because the devil lost. The devil lost. And early on in the ministry of Jesus, he tried to trip him up, but the devil lost. And because of that, Jesus goes on to his ministry. We're going to look at his words, guys. He goes on into his ministry, but his first words were, it is written, it is written, it is written, standing on the word of God. Now, if Jesus needs the word of God to fight the devil, how much more do you think you need the word of God to fight the devil? If Jesus faced wilderness experiences, don't you think you're going to face wilderness experiences in your life? Absolutely. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you consider yourself an atheist and you came to church or an agnostic. Maybe you consider yourself a good person, but you really don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to first of all, thank you for coming to church. This is a safe place for you to seek out who God is, for you to explore who Jesus is. But I want to give you an opportunity right now to give your life over to Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer. And may my words be your words. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I also want to pray for those of you who might be in a wilderness experience. You consider yourself a Christian. And you just feel like you're going at it with the devil right now. I want to pray for you too. Let's bow our heads. If you're ready to receive Jesus, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. And I turn to you, Jesus. I want to know this life, this abundant life that you promise for me. I want to know peace. I want to know true joy. I want to know your presence every morning and day and night. I want you to be Lord of my past. You know the decisions I've made in the past. Lord of my present, Lord of my future. So right now, I give my life to you, Jesus. <clears throat> maybe you're in a wilderness, maybe you need to say this. Jesus, I cry out to you from this wilderness. And right now, I just rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, Satan, I rebuke you and your demons. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the father of lies. I'm not going to entertain that thought anymore. I'm a child of God. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my God. And I turn to you right now. Thank you, God, for your good grace. Thank you for your mercy. It's in your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank God for his word, guys? Praise the Lord.